Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Growing concern over climate change has put the aviation industry under serious pressure. To secure the sector's future, the International Air Transport Association, or IATA, has announced a pretty bold ambition. Now, the aviation industry has accepted a plan for net zero emissions by 2050. Achieving that is going to be difficult and very expensive. Sustainable aviation fuels, or SAFs, are the foundation of our strategy. Because they absorb carbon as they are made, SAFs cut net emissions by 80%. SAFs can come from plants, recycled cooking oil, household waste and renewable energy. But, IATA says, sustainable aviation fuels can only get the industry part of the way to its net zero target. The most exciting development is a zero emissions plane that will require new electric or hydrogen propulsion designs. All this will come with a hefty price tag, which could force airlines to issue a final call for the days of cheap travel. You're listening to Money Talks from The Economist, our weekly podcast on the markets, the economy and the world of business. In London, I'm Tom Lee Devlin. In New York, I'm Alice Fullwood. And in today's show, can the aviation industry go green? First, things go wrong for Tom when he's taken out in one of the world's first battery-powered planes. Right, so uh, one of our batteries is down, so Miles, I think we're going to head back now, right? Yeah, we're heading back. This is, I've never had this happen uh, offline. I've seen it on the ground a few times. So. Then... We hear from AirBP why sustainable aviation fuel, rather than batteries, could be the answer to the industry's emissions problem. Um, SAF can be used at scale because it's a drop-in fuel, so you don't really have to develop new airplanes and new infrastructures. Finally, we ask what all this will mean for the cost of flying. Travel's going to be less affordable and there's going to be fewer people doing it. Alice, hello. Hi, Tom. What are you up to in New York? I'm here to do an interview, uh, one that actually may feature on a forthcoming episode of Money Talks very soon. Oh, very cryptic. Looking forward to that. Any idea where Mike is this week? Nope, he's disappeared. Not joining us today. Uh, Not even so much as a postcard. Has he left us on a jet plane? Very nice. I see what you did there. Uh, Somewhat ironic given this week's topic. Still, I think it's probably his loss because this is probably going to be the most action-packed episode we have ever done. I understand you did some real shoe leather reporting for this episode and it went a bit wrong. Uh, Yeah, so I I took a a little spin in the first certified electric plane in Europe, but it wasn't the smoothest of journeys. So one of the, the two batteries 
overheated and gave out just a few minutes into the flight, and we had to do an emergency landing with fire trucks and everything. So that was uh, was all very exciting. But you'll you'll hear more on that shortly. Yes, a spoiler alert though, Tom is uh, still with us and alive and well enough to make this episode, so clearly your in-flight troubles were not too catastrophic. Still, very dramatic. I cannot wait to hear the audio. Well, we'll uh, get to it very soon, but before that, I just wanted to share why I was interested in looking into this topic. So flying for many of us has become a pretty integral part of both our personal and professional lives. So IATA, which is the global aviation industry body, estimates that 4 billion passengers will take to the skies this year alone. And that's incredibly important economically, uh, both for the world's tourism industry, a lot of which relies on air travel, and also for the functioning of multinational businesses and and global finance. But flying is also very emissions intensive, accounting for around about 2% of global carbon emissions. And I feel like I've heard a lot on our show and elsewhere about greener substitutes for all kinds of emissions creating behaviours, say, switching a petrol car or gas, as they say in the US, for an electric one, or heating homes with North Sea wind farms instead of North Sea gas. But I've not heard nearly as much about how we can make flying green. Yeah, well, well, I hadn't either, which is exactly why I wanted to do this episode. So there's a few technologies that airlines are really hoping will come to the rescue. The first is electric and also hydrogen-powered planes, but both of those face some significant problems. So hydrogen delivers a lot less energy than kerosene, or Jet A, as they call it in the industry. And it also needs to be stored at an icy minus 235 degrees Celsius, which has all sorts of cost and complexity to fly in. And I imagine your jaunted a battery-powered plane has perhaps not convinced you that they are the answer. Well, I'm trying to keep a, a bit of an open mind about this. So both Air Canada and United Airlines have put in orders for 30-seater electric planes that could be in the air by 2028, but they'll only have a 200-kilometre range, which is shorter than the distance between London and Manchester, or perhaps more relevantly for you, Alice, between New York and DC. Okay, yeah, that doesn't sound like it's going to get me back to the London office when I come over for Christmas. Well, by 2050, it is hoped that electric planes could be flying distances of around 1,500 kilometres, but no, that, that still won't get you all the way across the Atlantic. And that's where sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, comes in. SAF can be produced from a number of different feedstocks, but perhaps the best example would be growing plants which absorb carbon and then turning those into fuel, making it close to carbon neutral over the course of its life cycle. But it's still not perfect, partly because it's often not 100% carbon free and and partly because it still has to be blended with traditional jet fuel. Uh, But it's certainly a step in the right direction. So that's the theory. Uh, But to see it all in action, I travelled to Norwich Airport with our producer, Dan. Which is where your plane broke midair. Which is where my plane broke midair. I am so hyped. (laughs) Thanks, I guess. It's uh, 11 in the morning here at Norwich Airport. Um, I have to say this is one of the smallest airports I think I've been in. It's, It's nice and quiet. There are four flights on the departures board for the rest of the day, uh, but I'm, I'm not here to travel to Amsterdam or Aberdeen. I'm here to see the future of air travel. 
Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Alex Durand. I'm the CEO of Klein Aviation Group. We're a Norwich-based aviation services business. It's really nice to meet you, Alex. Thanks so much for taking the time to see us today. Can you tell us a bit about your fleet here? Yeah, the fleet we currently operate, we've got uh, five uh, jets under management, um, most of which are available for charter, and we're also uh, just taking our 10th helicopter. And what kind of things are customers using your fleet for? We've seen a change from corporate use since the pandemic. I think there's a lot more um, lifestyle and uh, using it as an alternative means of transport. Particularly the helicopters are around festivals, um, sporting events, um, can be groups of businessmen, uh, women travelling to meetings, but it's, it's probably a lot more leisure than it was. Tough life, flying around in planes and helicopters everywhere. Um, what proportion of your fleet is powered by sustainable sources of, of one type or another? Part of the problem with sustainable aviation fuel is very limited availability. So we have it at Norwich, so every flight from here is, is powered by, by SAF. Um, we pick it up where we can otherwise, but it's, it's ad hoc. Uh, what we've done to augment that is we've taken on a lease of an electric aircraft. Um, it's obviously not available for charter at the moment, but just to showcase what can be done. And so that's, that's the range of activities we do, but how about we go and have a look at some of the aircraft and how we operate them? Sounds great. Rachel, let's have a look in the hangar and see what we've got. Wow. All right, so here we are. We're in a, a, a big airplane hangar. I think we've got, I think I count six or seven aircraft in here. So Alex, what are we looking at here? This in front of you is the Pipistrel Valis Electro, the world's first certified electric aircraft, which you'll be taking a flight in. I've got to say, Alex, it's tiny. <laughs> You're feeling brave. Yeah, it looks very futuristic, but it's it, it's kind of barely bigger than a than a mini, I would say. <laughs> it's all about weight, so okay. it's 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 very light. So let me introduce you to Miles, who'll be your your pilot. Morning, Tom. How are you doing? You excited? Yeah, looking forward to our going up. To be honest, I'm slightly terrified. Um, tiny little plane. Um, so, Dan, if I don't make it back, tell my wife I love her. Well, we've got a glorious day for it. Have you ever been up in anything smaller before, like a GA aircraft? Or a I, I, I have not. I have not. <laughs> well, great. We'll go through a safety briefing on the aircraft. Obviously, a little bit different stuff. You haven't before, yeah, how quiet that is. <laughs> we are on the move. On the move. Here we go. So, I'm just going to taxi to the runway over here. Golf Kilo Oscar, Delta 1, ready for departure. Golf Kilo Oscar, via Delta 1, runway 09, wind 05, 0 degrees 9 knots, clear for takeoff. Via Delta 1, runway 09, clear for takeoff, Golf Kilo Oscar. And we have liftoff. Right, Miles, so where are we heading today? So uh, we've uh, just turned east out of Norwich and uh, we're just heading towards the North Norfolk coast, going overhead to North Horsham and then back into Norwich via Aylsham. Like a lovely little uh, tour. Yeah, it's a glorious day for it, very lucky. It's a little bit bumpy today just because of the thermals, uh, very light winds and uh, yeah, glorious. And so how is it flying an electric plane versus this kind of traditional fuel powered equivalent? Uh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the, the power it has, I mean, it's, it's very light, it's a 600 kilo aircraft. Um, they've gotten a huge amount of torque because you find electric cars, so super, super powerful. Oh, the traffic will keep an eye until we've got a bit of a hot battery. Okay. 
Norwich Golf Kilo, Oscar, Pam Pam, Pam Pam, Pam Pam. Have you had a battery warning failure? So I need to come back to the airfield as soon as. Golf Oscar Echo Kilo, Oscar, Roger, your Pam, join for left base runway 09. Left base runway 09, Golf Kilo, Oscar. Just out of morbid curiosity, what happens if the other one fails? Uh, we'll, uh, we've got a good glide range, so we make it to the airfield from here. Alright, so uh, one of our batteries is down, so Miles, I think we're going to head back now, right? Yeah, we're heading back. This is, I've never had this happen uh, offline, I've seen it on the ground a few times. So. Alright, so we're back on the ground, back parked. You handled the uh, slight hiccup there very <laughs> composedly, Miles. Very good, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's sort of what commercial pilot training is about, really. Uh, it's about handling emergencies like that, and uh, the best way to deal with them is when you compose, really. This is a really minor emergency, that's why it's a pan-pan rather than a mayday, because both batteries haven't failed, only one set of batteries has, so we've still got power, we've still got time to get back. Alright, so I think we've seen that uh, electric aircraft have some challenges, but the other solution that I know that the aviation industry is very actively exploring is sustainable aviation fuel. And I think that's what we are filling up this helicopter with, Alex. You are indeed, Tom. So you're looking at a 19,000 litre Bowser, which is the fuel truck which takes the aviation fuel on the airfield. Purely uh, with a SAF mix of 35%. So 65% is Jet A1, 35% is, is SAF. Um, and the blend allows us to reduce our emissions by up to 30% uh, with, with the fuel we're using. Great, so I think I'm ready to go back up in the air. And Alex, you very kindly offered to take me up in this chopper as well to uh, see how it flies with the SAF. Sure, I'll hand you over into Rob's capable hands who's taken a, a break from his busy summer schedule around the festivals and the sports events. Excellent, yep, so we'll... Uh leave here we'll head around the city and uh, bring you back in sounds great thanks so much Rob yes yeah, so we're in the uh, helicopter now it's a significantly more uh, spacious aircraft than, than the tiny little electric airplane I was in a few moments ago and uh, looking forward to getting back up in the air again Hopefully uh, it'll be a slightly less eventful journey than the last one. And we're lifting up above the airfield here, the uh, surrounding countryside of Norwich below us. It really is a beautiful day. Right, Alex, so the chopper we're in here, this is powered by sustainable aviation fuel. Could you tell us a bit about that and just how it compares in terms of cost with traditional aviation fuel? Yeah, so the, uh, the fuel we use is sourced from feedstocks as an alternative to the normal fossil fuel supply of uh, Jet A1 fuel. Uh, the cost is approximately 60-70% beyond above the normal price, um, but we're lucky enough to have a supply at Norwich Airport. Okay, and so what does it mean in terms of the price that customers uh, charge for this? Do you have to charge them more to use sustainable aviation fuel? It's a cost we're currently absorbing, so it's important to make it available for all flights, take it while it's there, but it is an additional substantial cost of our operation. Uh, we'd ideally like to pass that on with price increases, but at the moment the priority is to get it in the aircraft and get supply guaranteed.
Right, Alex. So we're back on solid ground. So the economics of uh, SAF are somewhat challenging at the moment, it seems, but certainly sounds like there's a lot of promise there. What do you think would need to happen for this to be rolled out across the aviation industry? So there's two issues, availability and price. Price is an issue, but it's not if there isn't any. So availability is the key. Uh, The SAF that's available is down to individual airports taking a view on their own risk uh, to do it at scale it needs significant intervention i.e via regulators or governments to either mandate it there is a SAF mandate coming out but really it's just production we need to invest in the production facilities now because they're going to take years to scale up Alex thank you so much for taking the time introducing us to your team letting us go up in two of your aircraft today it's been really great fun thank you so much likewise absolute pleasure and thanks for taking the time to come here there was so much to react to. <laughs> My personal highlight was how uh, Alex did ask you if you were feeling brave before he sent you up in, a, <laughs> in the tiny electric plane. I also loved the pilot using Pan Pan instead of Mayday. I had no idea that that was the, the terminology, but I think I'm going to have to uh, incorporate that into my regular life. You know, this is just a pan pan crisis, not a mayday (laughs) crisis is how I will refer to any issues going forwards. But more seriously, I am amazed how calm you were. And you you got back up in another one again. Yeah, I mean, the pilot Miles was very reassuring through the whole episode. I bet Dan, our our producer, though, was was in a bit of a panic wondering whether our uh, corporate life insurance covered rides in in two-seater electric planes. See, Tom, this is why you're uh, such a money talks natural. Even when faced with your uh, brush with death, your mind went straight to the financial products that we use to hedge ourselves against such events. Still, putting your personal experience aside, having seen both technologies in action, are you optimistic about their potential? Well, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, I I think I have a little more confidence in the prospects for SAF. But actually, that's mostly because it seems to be just the path of least resistance for decarbonisation, given you can more or less just substituted in for traditional fuel with existing aircraft and infrastructure. But what Alex said at the end there around the availability of SAF did really get me thinking. So to understand more about that issue, I spoke to Andrea Moyes, who is the Global Aviation Sustainability Director at AirBP, which is the aviation fuel division of BP. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. Thank you for having me. To start, could you just tell us a bit about how sustainable sustainable aviation fuel is today? Sustainable aviation fuel today is made from waste oil feedstocks, typically, which have a life cycle emission reduction of up to 80% compared to the fossil fuel that it replaces. But I understand often sustainable aviation fuel or SAF is mixed in with the traditional jet fuel or JET-A mix. Is that right? Right. For um, quality and safety purposes, today sustainable aviation fuel is approved to be used in blends of up to 50% with fossil jet. The industry is working to increase that to 100% SAF. I get a lot of questions because people get excited about hydrogen aviation. They hear a lot about what about hydrogen or electric. And for us, it's really important to land the message that SAF can be used at scale because it's a drop-in fuel. So you don't really have to develop new airplanes and new infrastructure so we can deploy it now. That's the main thing. And when we look at the emissions that can be addressed with liquid fuels, 
those account for at least 70% of today's medium and long haul flights, which cannot be replaced with hydrogen and electric technologies. Sustainable aviation fuel has the potential to deliver most of what the industry needs in the near and midterm. I know one of the barriers to achieving a higher SAF share is the availability of the fuel. Could you tell us a bit more about what is behind that availability challenge and how Airbnb is working to solve that? There is definitely an issue of competing demand for the feedstocks that are required to make these fuels. If we look across the sectors, some sectors are easier to decarbonize than others because they can access electric and hydrogen technologies. But aviation and some other modes of transport require liquid fuels for a while to come in order to decarbonize. We have announced investment in projects that will produce up to 100,000 barrels per day, which represents about 1.5 billion gallons or almost 6 billion liters of fuels for ground fuels and aviation that are made from these types of feedstocks. And we're not just focused on producing the, um, the fuels, but also on developing the technologies and feedstocks required to make this happen. And looking more forward to the future, there are fuels that uh, are called power to liquid. The big feedstock for these types of fuels is actually electricity, renewable electricity. And of course, we are working on developing capacity for renewable energy. And how does SAF compare in terms of price to traditional aviation fuel at the moment? SAF is quite expensive today compared to fossil jet. We say it's anywhere from two to five times more expensive than um, fossil jet. In US, where we have a number of incentives provided by the federal and state governments, that price gap is reduced quite a lot. And this actually highlights the importance that governments and policy have in uh, helping to scale SAF, because we definitely saw demand grow in countries that have supportive policies for SAF. And do you think that the cost of SAF will ever be comparable with traditional aviation fuel today? And if so, how long would that take? It's hard to tell when we might reach parity and if we will. With the current feedstocks that we're utilizing, it's more complicated to reach the prices for fossil crude because you have to do more processing to feedstocks to retrieve the carbon and the hydrogen needed to make fuels from it. In the future, pathways like power to liquid could reach parity. But what that requires is decarbonizing the grid so we can have confidence that the energy we we're using for power to liquids is sustainable and reducing the cost for renewable energy quite a bit more than the prices that we see today. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. Thank you for having me. So, Alice, one thing that really strikes me is that decarbonizing aviation is, is just a very different ball game to decarbonizing cars. And in cars, it's all about changing the vehicle itself, switching from an internal combustion engine to battery power, which is creating all sorts of carnage for traditional car makers like GM or Volkswagen and leaving the door open to new competitors, as we've talked about in, in previous episodes. In aviation, it looks like actually the solution is much less about completely overhauling the design of aircraft and much more about rethinking what we fill the tanks with. 
which means the disruption probably lands further upstream. And it'll be interesting to watch whether it's big incumbents like BP that dominate here or, or whether we start to see some new entrants elbowing in. Yeah, I think that's a great way of thinking about it. Because, you know, in cars, it was new entrants like Tesla or BYD in China that were really the ones pushing the envelope with electric vehicles. And now you've seen people like Ford and others, you know, trying to pay catch up. I do wonder about the costs of these alternative fuels, though. EVs really took off in public consciousness when their costs came down enough to be competitive with regular cars. And also when charging networks became widespread enough, too. But biofuels tend to be expensive for the reasons Andrea outlined. There are lots of different demands for feedstock, and because it's so easy to swap them in for existing fuels, every industry that wants to decarbonize kind of the easy way will want to use them. Perhaps aviation is the most difficult industry to reinvent using green technologies. So once everyone else has adapted, it can end up being the one that gets to use affordable green fuel. But it could be a long time before that's the case. Well, from soaring above the clouds to diving below the waves, we have a great piece in this week's edition of The Economist on the prospects for deep sea mining. There's been some debate recently around the potential environmental harm this might cause and Hal Hodson, one of our colleagues, has dived into whether that environmental impact is greater or less than mining in places like forests. And I'm very much looking forward to reading more about that. You can read that piece and more for absolutely nothing by going to economist.com forward slash podcast offer for a free 30-day digital subscription. That is, if you're not a subscriber already. After the break, we'll examine whether the aviation industry can actually hit its target of net zero emissions by 2050. And spoiler alert, it's, uh, it's not looking good. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Before the break, we heard about battery powered planes and sustainable aviation fuel. But will that be enough to cut the industry's emissions to zero? To find out, I spoke to Jim Harris from the consultancy Bain, where, full disclosure, I used to work. Jim is the head of Bain's aerospace and defence practice and has just published a report on the aviation sector's ability to hit net zero. Jim, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So there's a lot of excitement around battery and, and green hydrogen as methods for decarbonizing transport more generally. How big of a role do you think that could play in aviation? I think they have a meaningful role to play in aviation, but it's going to take a long time. As you think about alternative propulsion, by the time you've matured the technology, certified it into the fleet, and then had those aircraft actually delivered, we're probably looking more at 2050s and 2060s before it makes a meaningful impact on decarbonization of air travel. Another topic that gets a lot of attention around decarbonizing aviation is sustainable aviation fuel. So what's your perspective on the potential for that as a, as a driver of decarbonization? SAF is a critical part of the solution. And we think it's the bridge between where we are today and the arrival of future propulsion 
alternatives. And so you're going to see a lot of investment in it. But there are a lot of challenges. First and foremost is the build out of the infrastructure and regulatory requirements to use SAF, commitments by airlines to do offtake agreements. That's going to bring investment to the space. And in some areas, like the refinement of used cooking oils, the technology is there. And so that will scale rapidly and really be the 2030 solution. Using other types of, of inputs like biomass, you know, agricultural residues, municipal solid waste, the technology is still maturing. And we're not yet at the stage where we really have viable full-scale production plants. So we see that as a solution that gets us from the 30s to the, the 40s, at which point you might start to see power to liquid or e-fuels enter the market in a more scale way that sort of gets you to 2050. But the problem is everyone's competing for the same feedstock. So our modeling suggests that really only 50% of aviation fuel could ever be met by SAF. And that assumes a lot of things go right and aviation is prioritized over other industries. So it sounds like even between SAF and new forms of propulsion like battery power and, and green hydrogen, there's still a significant gap. So what are some of the other levers that airlines have at their disposal to reduce emissions further? By far the biggest is continued fleet modernization. You know, replacing older generation aircraft with new generation aircraft. Historically, fuel burn has improved at a rate of about 1% per year. We see that continuing, if not able, even able to tick up just a little bit higher. And all this investment, both in new generations of fleet, but also in alternative fuel sources, how much is that going to cost the industry? And you know, what does that mean for what ticket prices are likely to look like in, say, 2050? Yeah, I think this is the big conclusion of our work, which is that the only way to decarbonize is to aggressively adopt these new technologies, and they come at a meaningful cost. A big portion of the growth of the industry of the last 40 years has been declining real cost of travel, which has made it a you know sort of consumable good for the masses, whereas air travel used to just be a, a luxury item. That's going to start to change. You know, fuel today is 40% of an airline's cost bar. If you think the cost of sustainable aviation fuel could get to 2x where we're at today, you know, that's a 40% rise in the operating costs of, a, of an airline. We don't think governments can subsidize that across a broad taxpayer base. And so that's going to be borne by passengers through higher ticket prices. And that means travel is going to be less affordable and there's going to be fewer people doing it. And even between more fuel-efficient planes, sustainable aviation fuel, new forms of propulsion, batteries, green hydrogen, will there be a gap still to net zero by 2050 in aviation? We think yes. We think that gap is still 30% of the remaining emissions. And there are folks who believe offsets could solve that. We see the public sentiment turning against offsets. And so we think the only way to close that gap is less flying you know, demand destruction in the, in the industry. And that's a tough answer. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So Alice, what do you make of what you've heard today? Well, first of all, this episode was just really jam-packed with so many things I didn't know about. So thank you so much for putting your life on the line to do it. I found the debate about how much staff fuels can really do and whether aviation can sort of win out over other use cases for them particularly interesting. I think what Jim was saying about how it's hard to see this being a silver bullet feels right to me. Although, 
if you add that to newer, more efficient planes, you're still making quite a lot of progress. Still, teething issues aside, I cannot help but think that a lot of the downsides we have found so far in electric planes or EPs, I guess, feel pretty familiar. You know, the battery's overheating, the ranges are too short, maybe they're too expensive. These are all the kinds of things that everyone said about electric vehicles in the beginning. And, you know, putting a journalist in a prototype plane and having it fail, (laughs) this is how innovation happens. It's not always entirely smooth. So if we're just at the beginning of trying these things out, I guess I still harbour some hope that one day I might get to fly in an EP2. Although my dearest wish, obviously, is that uh, that EP stays airborne for the intended duration of the flight. Yes, well, that does feel like an important necessary condition. But (laughs) But this discussion has really left me thinking a lot about the trade-offs in the decades ahead around decarbonisation. And that's actually something that The Economist has been writing a lot about recently, for example, around the environmental toll of mining for all the resources like copper and nickel that would be needed for the green transition, and and even the trade-offs between funding traditional aid programs and and clean energy programs in, in the developing world. And Jim made the point that in recent decades, there has been this incredible democratization of access to travel on the back of cheap flights. And I think there are very awkward questions around whether that's going to be sustainable or not. I'm not particularly hopeful after today's discussion that it's going to be possible to decarbonize the industry without significantly increasing costs. So if you're not able or or willing to fork out a lot more for travel, it might be time to start thinking about how you're going to adapt to a world with less frequent flying. God, even more time on Zoom, I guess. I guess so. Well, uh, on that hopeful note, I, I think it's time for us to pivot to our stats of the week. Alice, do you want to kick us off? Yes, of course. My set of the week this week is $6 billion, which is the amount that Tether, a cryptocurrency company, is projected to earn in 2023. So Tether is a stablecoin company, which means, you know, I give it $100, it keeps those assets in a bank account, and it gives me 100 units of Tether, which are worth a dollar a piece. And that business model was fine in 2020 or 21, when interest rates were at zero. But it is now absolutely printing Tether money from basically just storing the dollars that people deposit with it in treasury bills or sort of other fixed income assets. And $6 billion is actually more than the profit that BlackRock is expected to make this year. Uh, It's only on track to earn about $5.5 billion, which is wild. It turns out you can make money in crypto, but the way you do it is by parking your money in treasury bills. I mean, that is so striking to me. I I have to say, I thought that crypto was dead. I I thought after the FTX thing that the, uh, the crypto industry had just evaporated, but nope. No, you still have companies generating more profit than BlackRock, which just seems absolutely <laughs> bonkers to me. My start of the week is $60 billion, which is the most recent valuation of Xi'an, which is a, a Chinese fast fashion firm that has swept its way into Western closets over the past few years. And this stat is relevant at the moment because the company is apparently in discussions with its advisors around potentially listing in the US. And There's been some awkwardness in in recent years for Chinese companies listed in America. So Didi, which is a Chinese ride-hailing app, delisted from the New York Stock Exchange after incurring the displeasure of the the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, But Xi'an is is very much on this mission to try and present itself as not a Chinese company. It's moved its corporate headquarters to Singapore and it actually doesn't sell anything in China, although it does most of its manufacturing there. But 
then again, so do a lot of Western companies. So it's a very interesting philosophical question, actually, as to whether Shein should be called a Chinese company or not. I feel like I've been hearing a lot about Shein recently because my sort of various social media apps have been overrun with outrage because <laughs> they recently took a load of American influencers on quite a stage managed trip to China. They sent them to this innovation center, which is, is sort of a prototype factory. So they did have people sort of cutting out and making clothes there, but it's obviously not one of the places where they mass manufacture a lot of the clothing that they produce. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for today. All that's left to do is to thank the whole team at Klein Aviation, as well as Andrea Moyes and Jim Harris. And thank you for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always write to us at podcasts at economist.com. Today's show was produced by Dan Asher. Our sound engineer is Wei Dong Lin. And the executive producer is Marguerite Howell. I'm Tom Lee Devlin. I'm Alice Fullwood. And this is The Economist. The Economist.